Welcome to the Wisdom Journey. Today, Stephen arrives at an important section of God's Word. The church can't function effectively and in unity without dealing with sin in its midst. The church body as a whole and individual believers must be committed to confronting sin. We are to boldly and lovingly seek confession and reconciliation. And we offer genuine forgiveness. This lesson is called Church Discipline and Reconciliation. What are we supposed to do when unity and peace between believers is in jeopardy? How do the Lord's followers deal with situations of of personal conflict? And how can the offender and the offended be reconciled? How can the unity of the church be maintained? Well, let me remind you, beloved, the devil most often doesn't try to destroy a local church as much as he tries to divide it. And he's pretty good at it, by the way. He doesn't attack a church directly. He most often joins it and then sows seeds of disunity. He gets a fight going, and then he's more than happy to provide ammunition to both sides. No wonder the Apostle Paul wrote to that little church in Ephesus, where he told them to be eager, that is, be diligent to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. That's Ephesians 4, 3. Well, today in our wisdom journey, the Lord is going to provide some very practical steps for maintaining unity. Here are some steps for uh, what we could call reconciling believers. We're in Matthew chapter 18, and verse 20 sets the stage for us as Jesus says, For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Now, this isn't some sort of promise for prayer results. I've heard this text twisted into some kind of doctrine of agreement, that if you get two or three people to join you in praying, well, you know, God's certainly going to listen to you now. Beloved, God's going to listen to you when you come to him all by yourself. You have one mediator, Christ Jesus, and through him, you have access directly into God's presence. Jesus is mentioning two or three people here, and the context is that of discipline and reconciliation. You need two witnesses to establish the facts of the case. And Jesus promises his presence. He's promising his personal involvement in this process of reconciliation. Now, the Lord provides several steps here for this process. Step number one is here in verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. Now, the ideal is that the process ends right here. The matter is resolved in private. Too often, it doesn't end right here. So so the Lord graciously provides another step. Verse 16. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Now, this is an attempt to bring about confession on the the part of the offender, and, and as a result, reconciliation. The witnesses establish the facts of the case, and they make sure that reconciliation is genuinely attempted. They can also testify then to the response of the offender. 
Well, now Jesus provides another step, if, if it's necessary. Verse 17 says, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. Now, what does he mean, tell it to the church? Tell what to the church? Well, you don't need to tell the details of everything involved. In fact, telling it to the church relates to the main issue. Uh, tell the church that the individual refuses to follow the counsel of church leadership. That's all the church needs to know. That's all that needs to be communicated. We have a little book called In Pursuit of Prodigals where we help churches walk through this process. Now, if all the attempts at reconciliation fail, the last step takes place. Jesus gives it to us here in verse 17. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. In other words, this person is removed from the church fellowship. The church is to withdraw fellowship from this unrepentant person. This is indicating that the individual has lost fellowship with God, and the church acts that out. The Apostle Paul told the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, to remove the man from their church who is refusing to repent of sexual immorality. And let me tell you, it's going to be painful to do the right thing. This is never easy. There's a great sadness to the many cases that I've been involved with over my years as a pastor. The church isn't, isn't just based on love. It's based on integrity and purity and the truth of God's Word. Well, now with that, Peter, you know, he's sitting there in class. He raises his hand to ask a question. Here it is in verse 21. Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? (laughs) In other words, Lord, I know you'll be impressed with the fact that I'm willing to forgive my brother seven times. That's spiritual, isn't it? And Jesus replies, well, here in verse 22, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. That's another way of saying stop counting. Don't set a limit on how many times you forgive someone who genuinely seeks forgiveness. Just remember, by the way, how many times God has forgiven you. Is it seven times? Is it 70 times seven? Oh, no, thank God. His forgiveness is unlimited. Jesus now tells a story, a parable, to illustrate this truth. Verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. That's over a billion dollars today. And the point is, he's never going to be able to, to repay this. So the man falls to his knees. He begs the king for mercy. And out of pity, verse 27 says, the master released him and forgave him the debt. Wow, what an amazing act of grace. Now, you'd think that gratitude and grace would mark this servant's life for the rest of his life. But verse 28 tells us, but when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. That's a hundred days salary in this day. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. 
Now, what the Lord does is is effectively give us two principles that can be applied today. Here's the first one. Refusing to forgive others is inconsistent. I mean, think about it. We've been forgiven, and people who've been forgiven ought to be forgiving. In fact, Jesus says here in verse 32, Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? Basically, the master is saying, look, why didn't you do to him what I did for you? Refusing to forgive others is inconsistent. Secondly, refusing to forgive others creates inner torment. Jesus says here in verse 34, And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also... My heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Now, the word the Lord uses here for jailers, uh, those to whom this man is delivered, well, that's used in, in verb form in 2 Peter 2.8, where it describes someone's soul being tormented because of the evil surrounding him. So this unforgiving servant in Jesus' parable is going to be handed over to tormentors, torturers, those who will torment him. Well, what's the point? When we are the cause of unresolved conflict because we refuse to forgive others, God, in a sense, is saying, well, you're going to be tormented in your soul. You're going to be constantly replaying that offense, that crime, that injustice. You're not going to have a moment's peace until you forgive them. Now, if they don't apologize to you, you can't forgive them personally, but you forgive them to the Lord. You see, true forgiveness means you're willing to accept God's plan for your life, even pain that comes your way. Think about it. God used enslavement and injustice and imprisonment to shape Joseph over there in Egypt so that he would eventually tell his cruel and heartless brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Genesis 50, verse 20. See, living with anger and resentment and unforgiveness actually robs us of everything that God wants to do in shaping our lives, ultimately, for his glory and his grace. And beloved, the Bible promises that one day all things will be made right. There's coming a day when he will, will, he'll straighten everything out. And that's the day when we see him face to face. Well, until our next wisdom journey, beloved, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. You're listening to The Wisdom Journey with Stephen Davey. In addition to being your guide through the Bible on this daily program, Stephen is also the author of many books. One of those books goes deeper into this passage and the topic of church discipline. It'll help you understand more fully how God wants the church to respond to sin. It would also make a great resource for you to share with your pastor It serves as a guidebook for helping church leaders practice biblical church discipline and restoration. The book is called In Pursuit of Prodigals. Here's what it says on the back cover. 
For 1900 years, the church practiced the discipline and restoration of prodigals. But in the last several decades, it's been replaced by apathy, fear, and tolerance. This brief primer is prayerfully offered as an appeal to return to this distinctive, as well as to instruct and encourage shepherds who are textually bound and not so faint of heart. After all, should we not fear most the day of our accounting before the chief shepherd? This resource is available right now in our online store. Visit wisdomonline.org, navigate to the store, and the resource you're looking for is called In Pursuit of Prodigals. You can also call us at 866-48-BIBLE. Then come back next time to continue your wisdom journey.